So our, um, our text for this morning, at least the gospel reading in Luke, has three movements to it. So our, or the sermon will likewise have three movements. The first movement or first section, Jesus sends out 70-something. Um, I know printed in our bulletin, it says 72. Um, but I would do you a disservice, I think, as a pastor and as a, a Bible nerd, if I just skipped over uh, kind of what's going on here. Uh, now, what I'm about to say is, is very rare in the New Testament, in the Bible. Um, it's very interesting uh, the moments where this kind of thing occurs um, doesn't threaten to upset anything, any deeply held belief or anything like that. However, we have no idea if that should be 70 or 72. Um, the very earliest, most ancient copies of the book of Luke uh, some of them say 70, some of them say 72. There is a whole art and science around taking all the earliest and best copies of the Bible, comparing them and figuring out which we should or which is actually correct when there are differences because these are hand copied. I don't care who you are, hand copy anything and there will be differences. And in this case, we have no idea. So what do we do with that? Well, we just do our best. For my money, I think it's actually 70. And the reason why I would say that it's 70 is that it actually makes the sermon a little easier. Um, <laughs> but there, it kind of works either way. So the question is, what is Jesus doing? Why does he pick that number and send them out? Well, if it's 70, and actually this can kind of work if it's 72 also, if we had like 45 minutes, I could explain why, but we do not. We have a meeting after this service. Um, there were 70 elders that Moses appointed at the base of Mount Sinai. There were 70 people, 70 leaders appointed to what's called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem. Seventy people with a designated kind of authority cuts very deep into not only Israel's past, like a, a very interesting and important theme in the deep scriptures or the ancient scriptures, but at the time of Jesus, it also reflects something that's going on then. One of the things that Jesus likes to do, and Luke especially likes to point this out, although uh, Matthew does it also, is that Jesus is taking on the identity of his people. He like reenacts their history. For example, um, the uh, people of Israel received God's word. 
They wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of some mistakes that they make. And while they wander, they make a series of mistakes. And then they cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Jesus receives God's Spirit in the Jordan River, then goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, encounters loads of temptation and struggle, and succeeds where Israel failed. That's not a coincidence. And so I think this is best understood, not just that Jesus is like sending out his disciples to be like, hey, make way for the king or something like that, but he's also redoing this whole 70 elder thing because there's a lot of failure there too. This actually speaks to something that, that I find very compelling about Jesus as well. Like if I look back in my life, just as Israel can look back at her history, I can see loads of failure. I don't know about you, maybe I'm alone in this, but there are lots of memories and things that I deeply regret. Jesus takes on that history, that history of Israel. And in a really weird way, he takes on that history of me and you. And where I have failed, where Israel has failed, Jesus succeeds. That's a compelling story. Especially when you realize that it cost Jesus his life to do that. And he reintroduced something beautiful instead. So, Jesus sends out 70 asterisk, um, not because he was using steroids or whatever, but, you know. Is that joke still relevant, by the way? I don't know. I don't actually, I'm not really a baseball guy, so all right, whatever. Um, Jesus sends out his 70, 72, his new elders, his new council. And he says things like, Find a house of peace. That's a kind of a Hebrew idiom. When you go there, uh, eat what they give you, which is a bummer if they serve you something weird, but you got to do it. <laughs> I've been in those situations. You're visiting somebody and you're trying to get to know them and they plop down something gross and it's like, I know I have to love this now. <laughs> um, but he says, stay there. Don't go from house to house. In other words, this is not an opportunity to enrich yourselves or get the best that that particular village has to offer. You are here to serve. This actually is kind of a warning to religious leaders as well. I don't mean just ancient, I mean modern as well. The temptation will always be to use this position for our advantage. And so <clears throat> Jesus sends them out. And the first movement ends. And then suddenly it's, it's almost like Jesus gets upset. He suddenly starts saying, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Beth, uh, Bethsaida. Apparently, Jesus spent some time in both of those places, and he had ministered, he had performed miracles or something like that, and as a whole, they didn't buy it. And so he pronounces woe to them. Now, we have a problem 
here, not quite like the 70 or 72, but when we hear the term woe to something, <clears throat> we hear that as a, uh, as a pronouncement of judgment. Now, I didn't actually use the word woe. I'm a Bible nerd, but I'm not that big of a Bible nerd. But if you had been around my house for the last eh, week or so, you would have heard, and you will still hear, something along the, well, maybe a similar feel of like, woe to an unnamed telecommunications company because my internet will not be stable and it keeps dropping out when we try to do Anything remotely fun or useful. <clears throat> Woe to blank. You will hear that as me pronouncing judgment and maybe metaphorically saying, if I have to reset my router again, I'm going to throw it through your office window. That's a metaphor. That's not what actually, that's not what Jesus means. Uh, for Jesus, this is a term of grief. Have you ever thought about Jesus experiencing grief? Because he experienced a lot of it. And especially uh, Luke really likes to point this out. Well, maybe like is the wrong word, but he thinks it's important. That God's people throughout Jesus' ministry, tend to be tragic characters. Instead of hearing woe to Corzine like, you are terrible and you've missed it and ah, you're condemned, this is an expression of sadness. You guys missed it. You missed your moment. You missed what God is doing. You missed the point of the miracles. And then he compares them to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are two Gentile cities that the ancient prophets loved to bash, basically. And as best we can tell, they deserved it, so it's fine. Um, but he says, you know, honestly, it's better for them. Like, if, if I had done what I did there in the cities that should have got it, but actually in, in these ancient, rough places, they would have repented. This is not the message of somebody who is angry. This is the message of somebody who weeps for people that he dearly loves. And so let's draw another connection to the text. Have you ever wept for somebody that you love dearly as they were headed in a direction that you knew was not going to end well. Oh, that's tough. Heading into the direction of addiction, poor choices. Um, that's really hard. So what do you do? I mean, say you have a friend... And they go off and they start rooting for the Astros. Um, <laughs> again, I'm not a baseball guy, but like three people will get what I mean by that. <laughs> um, 
Jesus' response is in anger, it's sadness. When we find ourselves in those situations, I think Jesus weeps with us. I think if I ever wrote a book, um, well, not my thesis, but like an actual book, I may call it The Grief of Jesus because it's important and we don't talk about it. And so then we move to our third movement, the 70-plus-two-ish return. And they learn firsthand that God is doing something. This is not like traveling to a normal village and say, hey, a rabbi's coming, you're probably going to want to listen to what he was saying. But instead, like the primal spiritual forces of the world seem to be shaking. Something is happening. And Jesus, in some weird way, when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, no, I have no idea what he really means by that. But he seems to be recognizing that something is changing fundamentally about the world. And his disciples, the ones that he sent out, his new council, if Jesus is the new Moses, which he is, they are really excited to be part of it. And then Jesus twists the knife because he's Jesus. He's got to. He's like, yeah, this is great. The Lord is with you. You will be protected. You're going to get to do a bunch of interesting and powerful things. That's not the point. The point is that you are written in the book of life. The point is that you're part of this kingdom. It has nothing to do with these powerful things that you do. And I think there's two things we can learn from that. The first is that spiritual authority is seductive and it's dangerous. Um, Again, I guess this is like bash spiritual leaders day, but that's fine. Um, This is kind of a warning for y'all. Spiritual authority is dangerous, and I think it's more powerful, and it can be more coercive than we might think. Jesus is very well aware of this. And then the second connection that we can make to this third movement, and really my final point, is that Jesus seems very uninterested in what these sent disciples accomplish. And he's much more interested in who they are. It is very easy for us to take a look at what we've done, what we've accomplished, whether spiritually or with our careers or with our family or with our friends or within our our communities and say that this is why I am valuable. And what Jesus says here is that it doesn't matter. It's not that it's not good. But it's not the point. You are not 
the sum total of your accomplishments or the things that you bring to the table, you are not, um, or your value rather, is not what you do, but rather your name is written in the book of life. And as I said at the beginning, in order for your name to be written in the book of life, it requires somebody to pass through death. And so as Jesus says to his sent ones, yeah, that's all great, but no, 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 no. You belong to God now. That is the real miracle here. And you'll understand in a few weeks to a few months, what it is going to cost. And the same is true for you. It's not about who you are, or excuse me, it's not about what you do, or who you are in some weird social sense, or what you've accumulated, or the skills that you bring to the table, or anything else. It's who you are, and who Jesus has made you to be as his disciples. Amen.